the game wants you to have an early death in a spectacular fashion, right? Then it's designed around that. So like, it's fine if you join into a game and you're, and you're not good at it, you know, but if you go into a competitive game of any sort and you're not good at it, it's rude to be bad. Scotch. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 456 of Coffee with Butterscotch, the game dev comedy podcast of Butterscotch Shenanigans. I'm Seth and I'm the games programmer. I'm Adam and I'm the miscellaneous programmer. I'm Sam and I'm the artiste. And this is a show where we talk about life, business, and working in the games industry. Today is February 23rd, 22 by 4. Before we get started, we have a warning there's going to be profanity in this show. And we'd also like to thank our recurring supporters over at moneygrab.bscotch.net. Thank you so much for your monthly donations to help keep the podcast going. Uh, now, we don't have, I mean, we have, we've been doing a lot of stuff this week, uh, but it's, you know, it's a lot more of the same. We're just in our big content push for Crash Dance 2. So we've just been making, I think, a trillion things. I think we made yeah. a trillion things mm-hmm. this week. Approximately. Uh, all of which are incredible, you know, and so Truly uh, no, amazing. but no news, you know, you'll see it. You'll see we've it been, when you see it. As a, just a really brief follow up on the localization stuff. We've also been, we're in the middle of localization now because we had, a, I think two episodes ago, mm-hmm. we were, did kind of a deep dive on how to think about localization in, in video games and, and uh, how interesting and painful the process is. Um, and now we're in the, we're in the kind of the fun, interesting phase where, the translators are working, and just every morning, I just check a spreadsheet where they've listed the translator questions for, like, trying to get some more context and detail. And there are a lot of ways you could think about this when you're, when you're dealing with it. One could be, like, the annoyance of, like, oh, that's just this extra thing I have to do, right? But the other is it's just really interesting to read these questions and be like, oh, you know. So <laughs> And uh, it gets so much of, like, so, so our writer, um, Jen, who's... It has some particular moments that are just like very bizarre and hilarious, like writing things, you know, so like they'll have, they'll have kind of like, you know, a piratey speak kind of a thing, a little more standard, right? But then also some really weird, like some character thing that's just very bizarre uh, that like in English, like feels right and it feels good, right? Uh, but the trainers are like, the fuck does, what am I supposed to <laughs> what, do with this? What is this? Yeah. And, it's, and, it's, and, then, and then watching and then either trying to explain myself or watching Jen try to explain, like try to articulate what does yeah. this mean, right? It's very, it's just very fun and funny uh, and interesting. So it's been, it's been a compelling experience. Um, the, yeah. And the clarifying questions are also very interesting because, you know, and like, for example, in English, we may have one word to describe a type of thing um, because we may not differentiate between like sub variations of that thing or, or whatever, because we don't, we just don't. Uh, and then other, we're like when the translators will see a word that, you know, we just, we don't have any alternative words for that thing. Like this is what we call it. Right. And they'll be like, would you say it's more like A, B, C, or D? Because yeah. we have different words for the, all those versions of this thing. And, yeah, and which so one we pick been, is going to yeah. change things. Yeah, what it, and, it's, and some even non-obvious stuff too, right? Because like there's there's a piece of dialogue where Flux is like, oh, we'll, ha- we'll have to figure out how to get across this water, right? Yeah, and in the moment, yeah. when you see it, it's like like with the screenshot in the game, it's like literally like, I don't know, four tiles. It's like a little island four tiles away, this little like kind of portion of water, right? And – Nobody thought, oh, we need to like provide more context for like how much water is here and what kind of water it is, right? So like the transitor question was, is this like across a river or a lake or like what? What's the what's the vibe of this water, right? Because like we didn't think 
like we wouldn't have guessed that it mattered for translation, right? Yeah. Because I guess it would probably be weird in, in that language to just say water when you're talking about a specific – Like a body, body of water. Yeah. landmass. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And, and you know, like I was saying, in English, yeah, you could just be like, oh, look at all that water. water. Yeah, let's get across the, the water, right? Yeah. And you don't have to distinguish like this pond or lake or stream or ocean. You, know, like yeah. it's, you just look at it and you, and you can see. So – uh, so it's also yeah, it's also true in other languages, but like just people have nuances. It's something that that I uh, I always get on Sampi's case about because in in India they're very loose about differentiating between parts of limbs. Mm. So if somebody gets like a, a knee injury, they might just they might just like say, oh yeah, I hurt my foot. And when they say foot, that actually encompasses the like entire the leg. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah, or. Yeah, or, uh, or one was very confusing because uh, one of her friends had a shoulder injury and he kept saying that he hurt his hand and he couldn't come in to work. And I was like, what did you do? Did you like get it caught a door? He's like, no, nah, it's just when I raise it, it hurts. Uh, and I kept being like, I don't, what are you talking about? Yeah, and understand. then after a while, then he was like, yeah. And then he was ex- like explaining something about his shoulder joint because like when he got into like the medical terms about it. And I was like, oh, okay. But like, like they have, a, they have the words for shoulder. They just culturally don't. Yeah, it'd be like calling it water. It's the same thing. Non-specific, right? It's like a yeah. Yeah. general concept of the whole limb wrapped up in a hand or a foot, as opposed. And it's to- a reminder that it's not wrong, right? It's just another. It's just another way to because because also like I assume that hand can mean either basically like specifically the hand or the whole arm, right? Is like probably practically yeah, what happens. Yeah, yeah, and we and we have words like that too, right? And. uh and and it's weird when like they're the same words because that's when that's when people start to be like no this is the wrong or the right way to right, do it right, right. <laughs> uh, but it's the same idea whether it's the same words or different words right you can they they don't mean anything specifically there's no definitions aren't handed down from above they just are what they yeah. are but it's uh, kind of what we talked about with talking about localization a couple episodes ago where it's like there's a reason we talk about localization and not translation right because if you just word for word translate it. Then some of these nuances of how how people use words or how people think about things they just don't they don't really make sense when yeah. they you know when they come across. Uh, so that, yeah, it's been it's pretty yeah, cool. Well, and pretty it works cool in all directions. Stuff. I can imagine if you're in India, right, and you're making a game, you want to make it available to a U.S. English audience, right, and then you're using arm when you're talking about someone's shoulder, you know, right, uh, right. And, and like, and you see this too, like with 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 novels and stuff, right? Like the British translation versus the American English translation versus other English translations, right? There's a reason why you rarely actually, even just for kinds of English, you often like a popular book will get translated into each English flavor, right? Because there's still enough difference that it can be really. And I, I know there's there's I can't remember what it is, but there's some there's some Harry Potter thing uh, that. I think it was like the word punt or something. There's like there's like some moment where like Hagrid says something about punting someone across something, right? <laughs> and in American like readers as like children, like we're imagining him like drop kicking a child was like what's going on. <laughs> but what was actually happening was something completely and I can't remember what it was, but like it was something just completely different. And so the impact that that thing can have mm. when like the two readers from the different locales, you know, read that thing. They're they're now interpretation of this character, right? Like change, and like the moment that happened changes. Well, but Hagrid is reckless. That's yeah. crazy. <laughs> you know, this is this is why there's there's one thing that bo- that really bothers me about fantasy lore, which is so if you think about how like for example, in like the the token universe, right? It's like here's the dwarves, and they're all like they've got the same accent, and they're all in, they're all drunk, and they all mine underground or whatever, right? Uh, so like, 
when I play WoW, for example, they model their dwarves after tokens dwarves, right? And they'll have different tribes of, of dwarves that live in different areas of the world, but they all have the exact same accent <laughs> and they have the same culture and the same like likes and dislikes. And they're all, they all mine underground, you know, all this shit. And it's like, if even in our modern world where we have the internet and we can talk to each other across the ocean instantly and all that stuff, we still have so many cultural differences and different accents and stuff, even when we speak the same language, right? Mm -hmm. That the idea of like two groups of people living on opposite sides of a planet, but then just having all the same everything is just insane, right? Yeah. I don't know. That's, just, that's just a soapbox I have about like, be creative with your with your fantasy universes yeah. and take these things into account. <laughs> yeah. There's nowhere where people are just all the same. That's just not, that's, yeah. that's not true anywhere. And it's not, it should be true in fantasy. Right? And it is very cool to see sort of historically how um, technology affects that too. Because for example, like in India, there's 30, I think there's 32 states, but each state has its own language. Yeah. But the states are not that big. They're not like any bigger than like a U.S. state, right? Geographically, um, I mean. Geographically yeah. big. Yeah. yeah. Population wise, they're fucking huge, right? Yeah. But, and, and say, same with Europe, right? But like these areas got established when Travel it was hard, was hard to move around, right? Yeah. And so language didn't move and, and spread that easily. But then like in the U.S., it's a giant landmass where most people speak English and it's very, very similar English just across the board mm. because. It was just easier to move, right? So, so it's pretty cool. Pretty cool. Uh, I want to talk about Hell Divers. Yeah, Hell Divers has been taking the galaxy by and Hell storms. Divers Two specifically. Hell Divers Two. There's an original. Um, awesome. So I didn't know anything about this game or this. I guess it's a franchise now because there's a sequel. So. I don't know anything about this franchise um, until just suddenly, actually, it's kind of like my Baldur's Gate experience where I don't know anything about it. And then suddenly it's just popping up everywhere. Everybody's yeah, talking about it. Yep. Um, and so we decided we were going to play it this this past weekend. So we, Adam, Sam and I fired it up on Sunday afternoon. And what happened? Yeah, servers were, uh, were all yeah, locked up. It. So it turns out- We couldn't get in. Yeah, we couldn't get in. And this is- this is uncommon either um because essentially the the i guess the popularity of the game is far higher than the devs had anticipated and then on top of that there's always the reality that like no amount of simulation stuff that you do will end up you can't perfectly represent what's going to happen on on launch day right um and so basically just just because of you know who knows what variety of things the combination of the scale maybe some decisions they made that seemed like they would work at the scales that they were targeting um, and simulating for just all kind of made it all fall over. So it was very hard to actually get in and play. And, uh, and it, I guess the, the, the high level view of the game though, is basically that it's a, it's essentially playing starship troopers. It's um, just, starship troopers. Yeah, just literally just straight up, which yeah. is hilarious. And so it's the opening that same, cut scene might as well have been in the starship troopers movie. Like, yes, not, yeah, it's not the same as the book. It's like because the movie is a different vibe than the book, right? But like it's it's the movie Starship Troopers, just yeah. the heavy heavy handed propaganda videos over and, the intentionally over the top so that you know it's a joke, you know, mm -hmm. kind of propaganda. Like you have to like as part of the tutorial, you have to like plant a flag and salute it, you know. Freedom, <laughs> you know it's all about freedom, freedom, <laughs> freedom and uh, managed democracy, as they call it, yeah. spreading managed, managed democracy, democracy, democracy the galaxy, uh, yeah. by basically becoming a little assault you know, stormtrooper, more or less. Um, 
But I think what's fascinating about it, there's a lot of things fascinating about this launch. One, of course, is, yeah, the server issues are there. And I think that's, that's been interesting because, you know, a few weeks ago we talked about localization and the fact that, like, when players see words translated or uh, perhaps want their own language translated for the game and they ask for it, it feels like a simple thing, right? But the reality is deeply, horrifyingly complex and expensive, right? And not scalable in a way that like makes sense across all games. There's no way to easily do this, right? It always is a nightmare. And what I found fascinating about the Helldivers 2 launch was that this backend situation has in many ways, uh, I think, educated a large portion of the the gaming community about just how fucking hard it is to build one of these backends that scales. And we talk about scale here. What we're talking about is like they they had like half a million basically concurrent, like concurrent players, simultaneous yeah, people. On Steam. Just on Steam. It's, a, it's, it's on also PlayStation on too. PlayStation. Yeah. Yeah. And, well, and, th- and this is for, because also there's different kinds of like backend scenarios you can have, right? But this is one where the entire game actually is run on a server. Like there's nothing yes. happening locally really, right? So like all the game logic, everything. There's no single player making. away from the online. Yeah. So it's, it's also a very heavy resource requirement on the server side for this thing. Yeah. So when you combine these two things together, I think what's fascinating about it was just seeing uh, the devs have been very open on the CEO in particular on uh, their their Twitter account, basically talking about like what's going on, trying to keep people apprised of the situation, uh, which has been very entertaining. And then also seeing some people's responses to it, again, typically gamers or even games journalists or reviewers who don't, don't know what the fuck they're talking about, respond mm-hmm. with these kind of flippant things. And then having basically this, this you know, CEO from... Arrowhead Studios be like, you don't understand what you're talking about. Here's what's happening. And just kind of explaining it to them. Yeah, I saw that one in particular where some just classic gamer move. So so the guy had tweeted something, you know, and somebody was like, get off of Twitter and fix your servers. You know, was like the (laughs) response. And the CEO replied that he was just like, He's like, yeah, I'll just go stand behind my, my <laughs> network programmers and watch them fix it and keep on asking them, is it done yet? And, yeah, and that'll probably make things go faster. Yeah. yeah I love a, a company at that size, like, like even in a company our size, you know, if I was tweeting and we were having rumpus problems, it's not like I could stop Can't tweeting and it. go fix rumpus. Yeah. Like Adam fixes rumpus. It's not my fucking job. I don't even know how it works. Yeah. Yeah. People <laughs> have different knowledge and skills. People have jobs. <laughs> yeah, so what's really fun then is seeing it. There's a bunch of other devs then piling in on those threads, basically sharing like other horror stories they had from their own launches, right? Because this is a very common thing in games. And, and we've talked about the podcast a little bit about how, you know, when you launch a game, that typically is your highest, your highest wave of players is right at the beginning. And... So it's weird because sometimes it'll be, you know, 5, 10 X, whatever your kind of daily rate's going to be, but you still have to do a lot for it. You still have to figure out how to do it. And for multiplayer, that's rough because for a single player game, it doesn't actually matter what the scale is, right? Because like it doesn't, because as long as the entity that is distributing copies of your game has yes. the bandwidth to handle the downloads, which like any modern one does today. Much simpler than managing online. That's it. Yeah. But as soon as you have to also be running a proportional number of servers yourself. <laughs> yeah based on how many users are out there and you want to plan for that. And you know that you're going to have a 10th as many players in two months or something like that. Right. Then how do you make sure you can spin up, you know, 10,000 servers today and then not be paying for 10,000 servers in two Tomorrow, months? Yeah, yeah. 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 So what's interesting, I think is you know, this week they, they managed to get the servers more or less, uh, fixed so you can you can actually play everything seems like it's working as of the last couple of days um which is you know a good turnaround time it's a it's a small studio with a small team um but more than the server issues which there's a lot of articles about and if you want to go read into it you certainly can um the thing i found really interesting is is while i was waiting in queue i was like oh you know what this is probably not gonna work i only have like 
20, 30 minutes before doing baby bath time and stuff. I'm going to go boot up the original and see like, what did they actually change between these two games? Because that's always, a, we talk a lot about how do you do a sequel well, you know, a lot of the kind of high, is it just a high concept that remains or, you know, do you keep all the mechanics, how does all the systems work, et cetera. And it looks like the original was fairly popular, right? It wasn't like, it wasn't anything like this. Not like this, but they... But it, it was a successful, fairly popular title, right? Yeah, I think the, the peak concurrency they had for the original was something like 7,000 players, which is great for like a That's smaller really team. Solid for, yeah. That's really solid. Um, you know, yeah, it's not 500,000, certainly. That's like different yeah. situation. That also um, explained why they planned for 10,000 concurrent or whatever and were surprised to get 500,000. Yeah, I think they scale tested for like 50K being like, oh, that's probably like in our wildest yeah. dreams. They're like, sure, if you, <laughs> if you take, better than our, first game. Yeah, take yeah. our previous peak, add 50%, and then, you know, yeah, 5X on top of that. Yep, know, yep. Just for safety margin. Yeah, I mean, so, I mean, you could see how that would, you know, that would be their guess. But that's, what we, that's what we would have done probably, you know? Yeah, yeah. that makes sense. But what's interesting is um, I played through I played through the initial tutorial and then I played a few rounds with people. And what was fascinating to me is actually that like mechanically, it is the same game. It is the same hmm. game. It's the first game also um, like play style. It's like a, a over the shoulder kind of shooter. No, that's the thing. So it's the first wow. one is top down. So there, there's, a, there's a few things that, that by moving into full like, Essentially, essentially, first person shooter, third person shooter, vantage point um, change that are I think meaningful. But the overall, like the tutorial, is actually almost the same. But it's it's got more reading to do, you know. But it's like the same vibe, and it's got the same series of actions and stuff. And you um, do the same stuff, right? It's like you got a you got a map, and there's like it all works like, the same. It's like it's, it's like, like all the same. You the the sort of basically the the game works by building in certain kinds of. Um, what you'd normally consider maybe like a clunkiness to the weapon handling experience where it's not like in a lot of like modern video games where you reload a weapon and you just like any excess bullets that were in that clip, you still got them. Don't worry about it. It's fine. You know, this it's magic. Yeah. And this one, it's like, if you reload your weapon, that clip is fucking gone. So if you do it accidentally early, you know, well, you just lost a bunch of bullets and bullets are kind of hard to come by and, and you got to deal with that. So it's like, you got to be very on it with regard to how you're reloading friendly fire is real you just kill your friends all the time so it's also interesting right because because also it's part of the because the vibe of the whole thing is that you're a disposable search a disposable soldier in this yes. like infinite pointless war under a fascist dictatorship masquerading as democracy right yes. like and everything and everything and like the design meshes with that fucking oh, perfect. perfectly right because like your life as the as the player actually has no value. You're not really the main. You're not a main character. You're just no. You die in another soldier body replaced. You know what I mean? Like it'll have yeah. a different voice. You know, it might yeah. like you might you can kit out your character with like a specific voice on your ship, and then you you land die within ten seconds. Someone <laughs> someone sends a new pod in, and it's like a woman that comes out, right? And you're like just a totally different person. Up! You know, so <laughs> it's a. It, what's fascinating <laughs> to me is is that is is basically the fact that mechanically. And systemically, it's the same where, and what I mean by that is that reloading thing, like all those details about how the gunplay works, all the same, all the details about how their stratagems system works, which basically it's like inputting your uh, like classic, I don't know, cheat codes for an old video game, like up, down, up, down, left, right, A, B, A, B, is basically how you then summon an artillery strike or something fucking goofy, right? So during, while you're being actively, you know, murdered by a swarm of giant bugs, that's a very hard thing to do, which also plays into how the whole thing, again, this, this like slight clunkiness that's built in that makes it feel very real as if, 
you know, you really, your nerves get frayed as you start getting attacked and stuff. And it's not just like a fucking League of Legends game where you just hit R and now you're like blasting yeah. a nuke. You got to really you gotta hit us. You got to hit a specific combo. Yeah. It's so it's, it, the whole thing's brilliant top to bottom as far as that, that feel. But I think what's fascinating is just the fact that like when they went from one to two, the essentially like the, the transition to that over the shoulder thing allows for so many more of these cinematic and ridiculous moments. And also when it comes to, you know, friendly fire and stuff, the reality is if you're top down, if you're playing a top down game, friendly fire is very, it's actually like constant. Easy very, to avoid. Well, it's or, easy to avoid, but also it's like, it's kind of, it's weird. It's like boring in a way where it's like, if someone yeah. is shooting to the left and you are to the left of them. Yeah. You just get shot now. Yeah. You just get shot. There's not like a lot of, <laughs> they can't shoot over your shoulder. Yeah, I saw, I saw or, yeah. like between <laughs> yeah. someone's legs or like, you know, yeah. there's no that. Yeah, I've seen a bunch of clips of it. I saw some clip where there was this guy just like standing up and he was like charging up some kind of a big laser weapon or something. And the laser mm-hmm. then shoots out, starts to go, it's like a big plasma beam. And it's just like clearly very destructive. And then he's, his buddy is like looking at him. So you can tell she knows, she knows like exactly <laughs> that this is happening. And she like ducks under it and then something else happens and explodes and she like gets surprised and then just stands up <laughs> and just like goes right into this beam. But it's what it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to your point, though, Sam, like that's a 3D thing, right? Yes, exactly. That yeah. could have only happened in this sort of a way. Yeah, and so a lot of it, I think, is like the the sort of the cinematic experience of it went from being essentially not like non existent. And they did a good job in the, in the first one, right? But like that top down view is just not particularly immersive. It can't really be right. Versus the over the shoulder thing and the way that all of these elements then kind of interact in that per, in that kind of a space makes one for like a lot more just ridiculous, just ridiculous shit where like you can't see what's behind you anymore versus in the original. Like it's, mm-hmm. I had one I played around this morning and it was like, I was just, I was just walking and I just stopped for a second and then, and then happened to like hit the wrong button and dive out of the way on accident. And in that moment, this huge, huge bug thing just comes rampaging by because it was trying to charge by and kill me. And I like accidentally dodged, <laughs> I couldn't see it. But again, in a top down context, you can see, right? So you yeah. have this combination then if there's a like, limited visibility. Well, and either one of those would have been interesting, right? Because it would have been interesting if just suddenly you got attacked and murdered, right? But it was also, also even more to. interesting that you accidentally dodged that happening. Yeah. yeah. And so both of like, those uh, are more interesting than just seeing the thing, right? Yeah. So right, right before this episode, we were, we were chatting about what we want to talk about. And we started talking about the Avatar show, the Avatar mm-hmm. live action remake, and about how like – uh, just translating something from cartoon to live action causes people to look at it differently and more people are willing to try it and it like it kind of changes the the vibe, right? So it almost sounds like what you're saying is like, this is like a live action remake of, of Helldivers exactly 1. That's exactly what I was kidding. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, you guys are talking about that. But in a like, different way though, right? Because... This actually in this way, they actually were faithful to the source material. Well, it actually, but but it allowed them to become more faithful to the original yes. intent. Yeah. 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 Which yeah. is not true for like the live action remakes of any anime that I've ever mm-hmm. seen. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. But yeah. Well, it's, it's fascinating to me because it's like, I think it's it's very, I think it's rare to see a game from a, from a like first one to say a second one that doesn't essentially overhaul like a bunch of the pieces that were in the first one. Like when I say the mechanics are the same, like they are the same, the, the same, like all of the details about the gun, but the guns are the same, like the whole, and it was, that's what was sort of shocking to me as I was playing the top down one. Cause I was like, it is the same structurally on paper. I think right? it makes sense though. Like if you, if you got some, it reminds me of uh, rocket league, right? Mm-hmm. Like the first game was supersonic yep, acrobatic yep, yep, yep. rocket, powered battle, battle cars, cars yep. or something. Um, 
and the gameplay is exactly the same. I think there was like a couple of slight tweaks to physics and stuff, right? But it's like, it's three versus three cars playing soccer with rockets on the back. Mm -hmm. And they remade it, better graphics, you know, better whatever, uh, but the core is completely identical. And I think that... That makes sense, right? And like it's something that we kind of struggled with when trying to conceive of what to do with with Crash Ends 2, which is like the creative side of you wants to go like, let's use the source as inspiration mm-hmm. and make something totally new, right? But then like, but, but the original it, it, it just works. needs to be, it needs to be the original, but but just more of more. what you, yeah, just more. Yeah. And so like, well, and it's, it's interesting going back and looking at our design documents because in our original design documents, almost everything was different in some way. Mm-hmm. And then as we started developing and iterating more, a lot of the things that we wanted to do ended up transitioning back to being very close to what the original was, but but more in line with what we wanted the original to be when we made it, but we couldn't figure out how to deliver it, you know? Because mm-hmm. uh, it turns out that like a lot of the things that we were kind of dissatisfied with, with our inability to execute or something in the first game, really did just come down to our ability to execute and not yeah. about what the idea was, you know? Uh, so yeah, I, I totally it's, see. Well, but I think it's, it's fascinating, right? Cause it's like how, so let, let's say you launched the original Hell Divers, right? And you're like, okay, you know, we had this 7,000 concurrent players thing, active community. It went well, but it wasn't like crazy. We're going to make the second one and it's going to cost a lot more because I mean, it's like the graphics are fantastic on it. And it's, it's you know, it's a big, whole new production. And, but they, but they do at least get to focus all of their efforts on that. As in like, they know exactly what they're making. There's but I think that's, a, that's what's fair. Like being but, able to like have the, the internal design sense to be like, mm-hmm. we're going to keep it the same. Yeah. As far as we made something perfect. We just need it to be more. Right. Yeah. I think I mean, that's fucking impressive. I think that's a, that's a lot of discipline. You know what I mean? That's very hard to do. Very yeah, to then hard not, to do. To then while you're doing it, not actually touch it. And not actually. Yeah. And granted, yeah. like, either, I, what I mean by this is like, there's, there's a lot of small changes in terms of like, yeah, maybe different bugs or, you know what I mean? Like some details, but like the, core systemically like how the whole thing works is just the same and it's crazy to me that like it's crazy to me that someone could could be like where the problem in the improvement that we want to make is in the cinematic experience of the same game right but not in yeah. the gameplay the cinematic experience yeah. of it and that's what's going to take the gameplay up to a whole new level and and to just be very confident in that and just fucking go do it uh, mm-hmm. On the nail scale, I think they did nail it. I'm very impressed. Obviously, they didn't nail their servers at launch, but they fixed that now, so you can get in if you want. Well, but also to be fair, like when it comes to sort of innovation in the like, I, I, I'll, I'll call it an FPS, even though it's an over the shoulder. It's a third person shooter, yeah, yeah, but you it's know, a shooter, yeah. um, those types of games are pretty standardized, yeah. right? Like even even something like Overwatch, you know, which is a class based shooter, you know, it's kind of based off of something like Team Fortress. But how the game plays is mm-hmm. is you aim you aim at stuff and hit a button, you know, and like sometimes there's cooldowns on it, sometimes it has like travel time or whatever. Yep. Maybe 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 the projectile teleports you or something. But fundamentally, you know. There's nothing new under the sun in first-person shooters, right? and so it makes sense that you know if you if you've got something that plays really well and really works and maybe has a couple of interesting quirks to it, like the reload mechanic you're talking about, or even right? like the whole like diving prune thing. I don't know who animated that, but that shit is solid gold. Somehow it's it's just the right amount of funny when even when you're just doing it 
there's no reason you're diving. You're just like diving into a prone position. And oh yeah, something I had a bad. blast doing that during the <laughs> tutorial. Just like just leaping forward and belly flopping, yeah. <laughs> or even backward. And then like you roll around, like while you're on the ground, you can still aim. You know, so you as you're swinging your fucking gun around, your character's like rolling around. It's just there's some weird level of comedy in there that still feels like it's trying to be serious, but also like. But it doesn't take it doesn't take itself seriously. Yeah, yeah. I would say it just has it has immaculate vibes, right? Yeah, just, and that's excellent. that's why I think it makes sense. It's like keep the keep the gameplay pretty much as is. The vibes are amazing. Mm-hmm. You know, just just take it up, just take it up as many notches as you can in terms of visuals. Take the humor up higher. You know, even even more hilarious, like a goofy combat situations like you're talking about by like transitioning into this into 3d instead of a top down yeah. well, it's, it's thing, stuff that you know? can take advantage of that you really wouldn't be able to take advantage of in the first one because of that angle change which is again i think it's it is surprise it's just surprising to me to see someone like or to see a company that can take that vision and actually the design from the original and translate it so well and just get like a lot of benefit out of it because you see stuff like the original you do friendly fire and the person dies right it's like okay yeah but you can't really see how they die but this one it's like yeah, someone pops their head up and gets their literally <laughs> their head is gone because of a laser beam, or like their yeah. legs are just left over after, like their legs are just standing there after an explosive goes off, right? And it's like hilarious. Yeah, I will say po- post death kind of like ragdoll things. Oh, so good. If you can do it in your game, fucking do it. Because yeah. something that I was really hoping for when when uh, they were adding dragon riding to WoW, which lets you fly dragons around real, real fast, like way faster than any other thing you've been able to do. Uh, and I was hoping that if you hit something, you would actually die. Mm. You know, like, like if you, if you hit like a cliff face <laughs> at like 10 X, your normal run yeah. speed, it should launch and, you off into the wall and kill you. Right. You should pancake <laughs> and your body should just fucking ragdoll. Cause I'm, I was imagining qu- like questing like down on the ground somewhere and just like hearing a big thump overhead. And then a body and just, down. <laughs> just seeing a body just flipping down through the trees, like yeah. bouncing off the branches. Oh my God. It would have been, Absolutely hilarious. Yeah. I think but, taking the you know. taking the expendable vantage point of war in this game's case allows them to do these things that in other games where you're supposed to be a hero who's not being disgraced constantly by their actions, um, it allows them to do this stuff that is just hilarious and so good that just doesn't fit right in most other gaming well, contexts. That, that's the other part so of it cool, you know? too, right? It's like, it's like, it sounds like, yeah, they did like a good job with the uh, details of the mechanics, right? Um but the end is it's a shooter. They're kind of all the same, right? Mm-hmm. But but it but the way that they married the everything else, like the other the other aspects of the design, like what the story is, the why you're the doing theme, this, all of its thematically what's going on, how things come at you, right? And like what it means to be working with your team because of the how it was designed. This is a really good example, actually, of like the whole, the whole idea that like there's no such thing as a new. I mean, this is also is just Starship Troopers, right? But there's no such thing as a new idea, right? You're always just you're trying to put the right components together to come up with something that collectively becomes new, becomes new and becomes the, and even when every piece of it is not actually new, the execution of it collectively becomes something that it just turns out to be really good in a way that when people are like, I've seen every piece of this before. Cause usually like when that happens, if someone's seen every piece of it, they're just like, Oh, it's more the same. Who cares? Right. And they move on. Right. So being able to put all that stuff together, in such a way that everyone's like, yeah, I've seen literally all of this, but I can't stop. I can't yeah. stop interacting with this particular way it was all put together. Mm-hmm. But here, what's but what's interesting about this, though, is that this is, this is a sequel, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm trying to think of like, okay, so Rocket League is a sequel. Loved it. Never played the first one. Fallout 3, never played the first two. Mm-hmm. Loved it. 
right? Um, every now and then, one of these things happens where a sequel comes out that's so fucking good and is doing so many things better than the than the previous versions that it brings in a whole new audience. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm trying to imagine like what would it take for me to play the next Call of Duty game. You know, because like, like I'm not opposed to playing sequels, obviously, because a lot of my favorite games are sequels to games that I've never played. Mm -hmm. Like, what's the magic sauce? I think there isn't one with Call of Duty because Call of Duty's vibe. Yeah, because like you you don't make an you don't make a sequel with a different vibe, right? It's got it's the same vibe, and Call of Duty's vibe takes itself way too fucking seriously, right? It's well, that's what I think it. I've never played it, so like I don't. Well, it has components that don't, but also the community takes it. Takes the game it's really a competitive seriously, game. Right? and yeah. it's a competitive game. Which to me, yeah. like, I'm, I'm not going to touch a competitive game with a ten foot pole if I can help it. Because you could, you could, in theory, have a competitive game that wasn't full of assholes. But t- so far, uh, no company has set out to try to make sure that that happened with their community. So, yeah. it's just, like Grand Theft Auto Six is going to be coming out within the next decade. You know, mm-hmm. and like I played the first Grand Theft Auto uh, when I was a teenager, and it it appealed to. It appealed to me as a teenage boy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, going around. Teenager, yeah. yeah, going around, hurting people, doing crimes, stealing shit, getting involved in gangs, you know, whatever. Uh, but it very like that that fantasy very quickly became really unappetizing for me as a just as a human being. Um and I don't know if if the mm. franchise has moved on from that and like gotten into, you know, deeper storytelling or, or things like that. Um I think this is but, where the humor element comes in though. Because I think most of the games most of the games that end up having this a broader appeal, I think end up taking themselves not quite as seriously. And I mean a broader appeal in like a because of course, like if you look at the Steam concurrent charts or whatever else, there's the fact that like, yeah, Counter Strike and Dota, like you're very hardcore competitive stuff is still there. Yeah, they got tons of players, yeah. Yeah, but I think what's been interesting is that the things that have been cycling up into that and then, you know, maybe back out a few months now have been, a lot of them have been these cooperative games, the PvE games, right? So Lethal Company was just a few months ago where it's you and some friends trying to do dumb company salvaging stuff on alien planets and getting your asses kicked, right? And like a bunch of these goofy mechanics that there's some physics, there's some ragdolling, there's all sorts of funny stuff that can happen. Now you got Helldivers popping up and it's like, it's kind of, it's the same thing where it's like, it's there's no competitive nature to it. And it appeals, I think, to a, just a very a different and also a very large crowd of people who, because of the combination, like the humor angle and the not competitive, but the fully cooperative angle of it, I think just, it's easier to just have a good time with, you know? And like, yeah. I think that's, it's more approachable but, in a way. Like well, I think it's part of it's that it's when the design allows you to not take it seriously either, you know? Yeah. In the sense of like, you can still try your best, but like if you get your ass kicked, that's, that's actually the intention, right? Like, like the game wants, yeah. the game wants you to have an early death in a spectacular fashion, right? Then it's designed around that. So like, it's fine if you join into a game and you're, and you're not good at it, you know? But if you go into a competitive game of any sort and you're not good at it. It's rude to be bad. It's, it's rude <laughs> to be bad at it. And it's, it's, it's against the rules, right? And you'll be, you'll have a bad time. You'll feel bad and you'll be treated poorly, right? There was you, a, there was an, article called why it's rude to suck at world of Warcraft. <laughs> it, goes, it was a deep dive into this about like because there are so many ways for people to be sort of ranked you know like mm. competitively and because uh there's lots of of i don't say like punishments but like you can lose right like you can fail at, at things right. and and there are so many guides and videos and so many community resources available to you so that you can come in prepared to know what's going on it is considered 
you know, in the community, it's considered wasting other people's time and rude mm. to just walk in and be like, what is this? And like, I have no idea what you're supposed to do or how to play your character. It's like, it's big faux pas, you know? Mm-hmm. And so yeah, Versus it happens in a lot yeah, of Yeah, it's something like this yeah. where it's like, if at least if one person manages to extract from the mission, right, then everybody wins. You get yeah, like, so who cares? Because who cares? <laughs> like, you'll get, you'll get less bonus points, right, at the very end. But like, you just need one person to get in that fucking chopper very basically at the end, right? Um, and there's just an expectation of of everybody dying all the time in all sorts of hilarious ways. And so yeah, because apparently it's very easy to do because you know you can just stand up at the wrong moment and get your head ripped <laughs> off. You know? so, <laughs> and you'll just get hit by a straight projectile. And I've also I, 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 I got to play it yet. Yeah, because yeah. yeah, but I've seen, but I've also seen like the scenes when you when you call in like an orbital strike, like they're not fucking around with that thing, you know, like it the. Oh yeah, area because I, I saw some video like somebody called that like a called down a nuke or something, and you see it off in the distance, and then it like it blows up, and then it just kind of keeps getting bigger, right? <laughs> and and they well, look yeah. like they're it, it looks like it's far away, but then like they get hit by like the by the it wasn't like the right? actual like explosion, but they got hit by the blast in some sense, you know, and that caused something to happen because they didn't even get hit by the thing, but just like something got thrown as a consequence yeah, of this. You're, it just you're basically just getting tossed all over the place constantly yeah. by yourself hit by stray things. players. Yeah. yeah, it turns out nukes cause collateral damage. That's yeah. that's a thing they you do. find like a heavily yeah. armored thing and you don't have armor penetrating bullets per se, then like a lot of your bullets, depending on the angle at which you shoot the thing, go flying off the thing in the opposite <laughs> direction. Your team, right? <laughs> and so it's like, there's just all... Which is not a skill issue in the sense yeah. that like you can't perfectly aim your bullets to not have them ricochet off of a curved carapace, yeah. you know, and yeah. hit your teammate yeah. in the face. Like, but it's just going to happen. Yeah, but dude. it's like, I think that's the cool thing is it's designed to kind of flatten the skill curve, right? Or, and to, yeah. or to flatten the experience that you have at different skill levels. Yes. But in, in a particular way, because of the overarching design of everything, that makes it so that if you are the kind of person who's really good at this kind of game, you still just get completely destroyed Murdered randomly. Yep. And so you can't, even if you're a really competitive person who plays the competitive versions of these kinds of games, right? You can't, you actually can't take yourself as seriously in this one. Yeah. And you, because you, because you're dying to, even though you're yep. really good at this kind of game, right? And uh, and it means that you have less of an excuse to be a shit to somebody who's just bad at this kind of game, right? Yeah. Because if you're dying randomly and they're dying randomly, it's it doesn't put you in a position where you have a lot to say about that. It's like know? it's guaranteed to happen. There's no way you're going to go on one of these missions and not just randomly die a few times. Like even if you're good, you know what I mean? It's just it's going to happen. And so I think that's also mm-hmm. part of it. It's like it's an expectation difference. It's not like you're you're not expected to be flawless or somehow or that it's like a problem. Which I think yeah, is just fabulous. I think, I think the part of it is like is the the community vibe has been because because I haven't actually played yet. I'm just like seeing people talk about it and like clips going out and stuff, you know. But the community, like the something about the overall design of the game and like the disposability, I think of the player yeah. in particular, yep. has made it so that the whole community is just like they're in on the joke, right? Yep. So that when a player dies, they just they they're making jokes about. You know, it's for democracy. Like everyone's just like mm-hmm. yelling the slogans of this fascist dictatorship. <laughs> like and, and like and everybody like everyone's in on the joke. And of course, nobody knows why killing a bunch of giant bug aliens is somehow helping democracy. But that's what the propagandist that's says. What said. So yeah. so, so let's get on board. It. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you see, like yeah. when they they finally implemented uh, like AFK kicking, so people who were. You're logged in, but you haven't actually been moving or played for you know 15 minutes, and you get kicked out, which they didn't have at the beginning. Which is part of the reason why the concurrency was so high. 
you know, because everyone's just leaving their fucking computers on overnight since it was so hard to get in, etc. So they finally put that in, but the, the way it was framed was also funny in both the player and the, even the media where they're like, now like people, undemocratic AFKers are kicked out of, <laughs> kicked out of the yeah. right? So it's like, because yeah. they hate democracy, you know? And so that- Which again, is all, it's all about this satire of tongue in cheek. Like if you just call everything good democracy yep. Yep. <laughs> and yep. everything you don't like undemocratic, then, you know, it's, it's so that's, just, that's how propaganda works. I love that. I think any game like parody this, these really strong- thematic elements where it just starts, it gets all over everything and it's just so, it ends up being a little fun joke itself. Um, yeah, I just, I haven't just seen like anything Cult of the Lambs also good, but. Yeah, I just, I haven't seen anything at this, that had this level of. Yeah, same. Sort of cohesive buy-in where everybody is like on the same page with the game. Yep. It's weird. It's weird. I mean, it's delightful. And it's, it's an, it's a fascinating cultural phenomenon. I think it has uh, to be because, because of like the, the cultural memory of like Starship Troopers or something like that. It's just, it's in there. Right. And so mm-hmm. like, you know, I don't know, there's something about like, you know what it is asking of you and it's fun to participate in also is it because like you said it's not taking itself too seriously so the whole thing is supposed to be fun and yep. i think that just like it's fun to rp moment. as part of a brainless mob absolutely yeah. absolutely <laughs> yeah but just but take your brain out just yeah. set it on the shelf yeah. and yep. get in there and just start shooting it reminds me of like the wall street bets <laughs> thing you know it's like the same energy yeah, people yeah. being like <laughs> my brain diamond is hands. so smooth diamond to hands right yeah. <laughs> like yeah, they, every, everybody in that community just talks about how stupid they themselves are for the things that they are yes. doing. And everybody is like, wow, this is so dumb. I can't wait to see what happens, you know? They're like, <laughs> oh, they're all so they're all in on the joke, you know? But mm-hmm. also, it's not exactly a joke. <laughs> yeah, it's great. That's really well done. Yeah. Uh, we guys think we have time for one question? Yeah. I think we can get one. We got time. Uh, all right. Highest uploaded question from podcast.beastguys.net comes from Lex Zap, who says... I was reading some historical quotes from the 1984 to 1987 Complete Games Industry Crash, which is, I, I assume, a book. Uh, the market is flooded with quickly made low-quality games. Publishers are solely focused only on making sequels of prior successes. Developers are spending more time on marketing than developing. Game companies begin mass layoffs as customers turn their backs on gaming. So in your opinion, is 2024 headed in the same direction as 1984? Nah, so you could take that combination of sentences, just and put it anytime, print yep. it every year since then, and people will be like, "Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. it's the same thing as like you'll you'll see this of like people complaining about kids not wanting to work these days. Nobody wants right? to work these days. Nobody Somebody, ever wanted to work. Yeah, <laughs> who the fuck would want to? That's a just just such a stupid position to take. But you can go back like somebody strung together. They like but found like old newspaper clippings and, stuff, and they managed to find like from like the early 1800s to today just like headlines or opinion pieces or whatever, just like they could take a little clip from that just said the same thing for like like, generational differences or about generation and about young people being lazy. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, and they managed, they just strung that together for 200 years and they were like, have we really gotten 200 years worth of lazier, you know, for like, is that Mm -hmm. what's happened? Right. Or is it just that this is the claim you could literally make at any time because people are different. Well, and when you get like when you get feels, older, like it looks different. When you look, I think what like, it is what like it doing feels it's a truth in part, and that's basically it's always a truth in part, right? Which is like when you're looking at something like this about the video game stuff, like it has always is basically has always been that there's a bunch of these games coming out that basically are like they're not really doing anything, right? They are lower quality, and also like they're not they're not destined. No one's going to play them in a very long term capacity or whatever. You know, there's. That has always been happening. And then the publishers thing 
publishers are, and even just like big game companies, basically investing in like starting a new IP is so fucking expensive and insane because again, mm-hmm. you don't know if people are going to show up. So it doesn't even, it's not that it doesn't make sense. It like, it actually makes, it makes so much more sense to do a sequel or a yeah. franchise thing. It does like just always, yeah. always. If something right? works really well, do it again, but better. Yeah. yeah. From a, yeah. again, from a business investment standpoint. And so I think what's yeah. funny about it is like, but also a survival like, standpoint as in, as in like, yes, cause there, there's the, when you're thinking about like why things are the way are, they are today for anything, right? Uh, there's a there, there's a component of it that's important to, to not disagree, which is like it's this way because the things that survived are this way, right? And so mm-hmm. if you have a company who's taking repeated gambles on new IP, right, yes. one of those is going to fail, and if that company's not managed really conservatively, then the company dies. Then the company also fails, right? And so most companies that like really gamble on new IP Die. fail yep. eventually, right? And but if you already have something successful and you can find a way to leverage it, then there's a good chance that you don't die. And therefore, the surviving companies are increasingly, you know, the ones that are just remaking the same stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the new entrants, the one, the ones that are trying to make new stuff, are necessarily younger companies with less resources, right? Because they're the ones who haven't failed yet. Um, yeah, and what you really see with stuff like this is, in, in, my, in my opinion, there was no games industry crash. There was a crash of a trend, uh, mm-hmm. which is what happens with trends. Mm-hmm. So, like, there was a there was a big like when we talked about this pretty recently. There was a big spike in people making VR games in 2017, 2018, and what happened? Yeah, almost none of those games succeeded, right? But like, almost every every new indie studio we talked to at that time Damn was it. like, VR, VR is happening. It's finally happening, right? It didn't happen, and most and of those studios don't exist anymore. Yeah, but of course, like that also happened about seven years before that, and seven years, but like VR kind of comes like locusts, right? Like about every seven yeah. years, yeah. you get a big spike of VR stuff. And it's like it's finally happening, and then it doesn't happen because nobody wants to wear something on their face, as we've talked about, you know, mm-hmm. forever. Um, the big trend back in the in the eighties was was people overestimating the market for video games in general. Mm-hmm. Because, like, there was no internet. You still had to have physical copies of things. People had to, you know, like, get the Atari hardware and take over the TV and stuff yeah, like it that. Was really production expensive. distribution is way more expensive in that context. Yeah, and, like, you know that it's a bubble. It was a bubble, right? And you know it's a bubble because one of the one of the leading game consoles at the time was the Colco, which stands for Connecticut Leather Company because a fucking leather company mm-hmm. decided to get into the games industry because they thought there was infinite money there, right? Yeah, <laughs> so it's like one of them launching a crypto coin you know yeah crypto was another like how much of the market is actually just propped up by investors that's the other signal right yes. and yeah. and i yeah. think in, in the video game and space right creates now bubbles, it's actually you know? not like there's still a lot of like a lot of the things that are currently failing are the stuff that's all investor propped up right uh, yeah. but this is also why like we're gonna have an ai crash in the next like year or two right because right now all of ai is oh, just, just so much money going propped up by investor money right yeah. but, and but what that functionally means is just the same as the dot-com crash right it's yeah, like which is there will be a lot of companies trying to incorporate ai or use ai to do stuff and it turns out they're they not actually be solving that. a real yeah. problem and there's no market for what they're doing and then the company collapses and then there's layoffs or whatever it's like well that's not something fundamental about ai it's yeah. just that it's about it was used, it's about it's doing the wrong yeah. thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it also doesn't mean that the trend will go away, right? So like there will still be v- people using VR for all kinds of stuff. 
Yeah. It's just, it's not, it's not probably not yeah, going to happen. VR have itself thing. has survived every crash that's happened in the VR. It's space, always been right? around. Yeah. The yeah. companies involved have mostly not survived the crash, but some have. And there are some companies who are still around making VR stuff, right? Because they've specialized in it. They're good at it. And they, they, they their company matches the market for the product, right? They're not, the ones that are not just investor propped up. As um, we say, yeah. Of people <laughs> imagining that money will come someday, you know, when, when, when VR takes off and becomes the next big, infinitely growing thing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I think I think what we're looking at today is we're, we're, we're currently in the middle of an investor propped up crash in everything. Right? Well, also, and also partially because of, uh, because of, of COVID, yeah, right? COVID. Like yeah. everybody, everybody works from home. Everybody's stuck at home. Video games did well. They did during, obscenely well. During COVID. Obscenely yeah. well during COVID. You're yeah. talking like- And of course- People project, they're like, wow, suddenly video games are making <laughs> this, this much money. That trend is going to continue. Yep. So then investors throw all their money and then the investors demand infinite return. And so then people hire infinite people and they start infinite new projects. But the market wasn't yeah. going to be there. And now and what we've been seeing for, in the market is the market has been returning to what it would have been if Ish. COVID didn't happen, right? Yeah, like, there's a, there's people a are treating it like the, the market's boosted. not going – yeah, the market's not going back to like pre twenty nineteen. It's going back to like no, where to, it would have gotten to if where it would have gotten growth. to. Yeah. yeah. So like, but but that's a huge difference. There's a huge gap between that and what all of the investor money thought was going to happen, right? And so we're seeing what we're seeing is the fallout from that, which is why people call it a correction, which is a very you know uh, academic way like to describe term. a horrible a horrible collection of things that are happening. But right? I think I mean if you're but if you're talking about crash though, because it still is. Because they're basically saying like it's not a crash of the games industry; it's a crash of basically of a financial model. Of the games industry was totally fine as an industry. Well, but it, what I'm saying is the, the games interest. industry is still worth like a hundred and fifty billion dollars. Oh yeah, right? yeah. That, well, the industry the is like, there. What happened? Yeah. But what happened as far as like the actual total valuation of, or like the total, I don't know, revenue, or whatever else of games during that time? Because I think there was a time where like actually the revenue of the thing like actually dipped because the customers fell out, which is not what we're talking about here. We're talking about two different things, right? Because well, it was, it was kind of a combo. Mm-hmm. Like uh, cus- the, the customer base, I, I don't know if it declined, uh, but one of the issues that happened was like a lot of the companies that that jumped on the trend to make their own gaming console, those companies collapsed, mm-hmm. right? And so they're like, if you bought one of those consoles and there's no more games coming out for it or whatever. Yeah, I think it was like, something yeah, like that, you know. where like a couple of those collapses caused, because it actually caused a, a loss of consumer interest, right? But I think that's what- Well, that what is also because of the, the degree- Mix, right? Well, there was the degree of enshittification where that was happening, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. Yep. Um, where where everybody was trying to extract infinite wealth out of there, but the pool suddenly the the number of people again who are like investor propped up entities who were competing for actually not infinite space of the market, right, uh, made it so that they were just trying to they were content mills, right? So they were they were just churning out shit games, and back then. There was no way for you to be like, what are the best games right now? Right? Yeah, you would just, right. it was like whatever, whatever's in the store is what's available. And so the stores are getting overwhelmed with stuff they can't evaluate in terms of like, so what's on the shelf, right? So everyone is getting burned and yeah. burned out, right, with what's happening at that time. Um, and the same with it, like if you go on to like Switch today, like an uncurated platform, right? It's like you buy first party titles because that's the only thing that Nintendo surfaces to you that you can yep. be confident is going to be good, right? Because they have mostly. no other mechanism, right? Yeah, mostly. Yeah. Um, versus Some like of the new like Pokemon S- games, people did not like that much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But versus like uh, Steam, where Steam today has invested all of their effort into discoverability uh, so, that, so that the market that they're trying to, you know, match players to, to publishers, basically, um, 
that they're able to surface, you know, theoretically, right, but surface the right content to the right people. Yeah. And there's a reason that's where all their investment has gone into, right? Is that's that's what prevents a collapse when you have this mismatch of yeah. what the players lets, want and what they're getting. I would say it lets the the kind of financial and the investor portion of the collapse happen, but the actual like there's not a collapse in interest, which I think because like as far as the quote yeah. goes, that is the interest is still growing actually. Yeah, the quote basically says like this leads to you know like, like customers or whatever. So it's kind of like customers losing interest. Right? Customers turn their backs on games. Yeah, I was like that's yeah. not happening at all. Like it's you not, might turn your back on. Nobody like, ever stopped wanting games. Yeah, a company right at this point, but you're not like Blizzard for example. I think is going through this right. A lot of people are like eh, getting a little less into buying immediately whatever they're offering right but oh yeah they're not not buying something else because there's other it's i'm unlikely to buy another blizzard game ever yeah right Mm -hmm. right because i know that it's going to be absolutely riddled with in-app purchases and all that stuff and that's the thing with an ea uh, title and so on right yeah yeah Yeah. but there's there's so many other companies serving the need that basically what what i'm saying is like the key component is that the market does not actually shrink in this context because customers actually always have other cool things that they can go get but you might still have the background fallout of like particular companies just dying off or being You're killed seeing off. collapses of business models that are propped up by investors where the business model assumes infinite growth or that some particular trend yeah. is going to grow enormously. And this is why like, because we had we, we just went through the NFT bubble, right? Um, there's still so a handful of games coming out that have NFT stuff because it takes a long time to make games and they try to get on Whoops. that trend. Whoops. Uh, and, and that, and so, and, but you can, you can describe that as a collapse too, right? And it was where any, any company or game that was propped up by investor money for NFTs that collapsed. And if the, if the company was big enough that it could handle that collapse, like Ubisoft and EA, right. Then they just have, they basically like fired a bunch of people and shut down a bunch of like studios that they had bought, but the broader company still exists. Right. And so the broader company gets to survive as they, chase the trends and you know and do all this story. I, think, I think what you I, say then is that like in in that context you especially because in that context you do have customers eventually realizing that these things are not good and useful and so they stop yeah. participating in that kind of a game right so if you see yeah i don't think now games. i think now, not games yeah but what i'm saying is like now if you see like an nft game my assumption is that that is one of the kinds of thing that is made right in the space that people do turn their back on <laughs> more so yeah now and so you do have that actual full circle thing happening, right? Yeah. As far as crash. Yeah. So the nuance is like the part of the market. Because if you look at the late 80s crash, like people are tired of them being exploited by an infinite amount of like piling up garbage consoles with garbage games, right? right? And, they, and what they were struggling with was finding good hardware and good games because yeah. – which at is just the time, not the it problem was, currently. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, because well, it's, it's a, when one of these crashes happens, it's because – there's a fundamental, there's a there's a misunderstanding on the business side about the fundamentals of the business, mm-hmm. right? So, like, why is it that Nintendo came out of the 1980s quality crash? Mm-hmm. It's yep. because they put a chip, they put a chip in their cartridges that was encrypted, that only so that only Nintendo could produce the games that worked on the Nintendo console. So it was an old school way of of saying we have a curated platform where we guarantee that every game that you buy for this will be good, right? It may not be you know the best game ever, but like we only have good games, mm-hmm. and, and it's not and it even to say that, that that's an ethical or appropriate strategy, but that is what, what people want, it, right? It works because because yeah. again, it's it's not that people don't want games; people don't want shit games, right? <laughs> like people don't want to waste their time, and they, they don't, don't want to waste they their money; to, they don't want to waste their time. Yep. 
Yeah, and they don't want to have to spend they don't have to spend hundreds of dollars at that time subscribing to magazines to read reviews to figure out which games they should buy and which ones they should avoid, right? And so similarly, you know, like we we had all these kinds of conversations uh, when we first started making games and we were coming onto the mobile platform where there are thousands of games coming out per week, almost none of which people wanted, right? Mm-hmm. And it's and almost it's none of which anybody ever plays. And if yeah. you look at Steam, and it's a misunderstanding on the part of like of of Apple or Google to just be like, yep, people want games, just infinite games. We just all the games, right? And, Which and is why you now have happens? Play Pass and Apple Arcade, right? Because yeah, they had to make whole new platforms to to curate stuff because it turns out that that's a useless model. Nobody wants that. And if you, you look know? at something like Steam, I mean, nowadays you're looking at like 180 to 250 games a week coming out on Steam, right? Yeah. But what's what's great about it is if there's this, uh, there's called the ICO. Uh, newsletter, ICO newsletter. So you can sign up for that to get a little digest in your inbox. And, and it shows you the number of games that came out on Steam, but then also like review buckets. So how many games had more than 10 reviews? Oh God. Is it like 1%? It's like <laughs> it's like maybe 20 games, you know, 25 games. Out of the 100, like, 200. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like but 10%. That's, but that's 10, but that's like reviews, 10. Which is, yeah, that's like the floor, right? And then if you look at, and it shows you the, all the top ones and it's like, there's basically a dozen per week that have essentially like enough reviews that they got they got bought a number of times. You know what I mean? Yeah, that um, they may have at least broken even on their investment. Yeah, maybe. And so it's it's fascinating to look at because it's like, oh, right. The, the problem is not, the problem is just not that there's, it's not that there's bad games. It's Again, it's just being able to sort them in a way where you can tell and be and pick the ones that actually are good, right, ahead of time. Um, and I think just in modern day gaming, like like all the, all the platforms have chosen their methods for dealing with this. Um, you know, some more scalable than others, but it's, it's, I don't think it's a case that anybody's going to stop playing gaming because they well, I think games are a weird space when it comes to this whole like crash cycle and stuff, right? Because you do have people who are, like, are running companies and they're making games as a, as a business intentionally. Like their goal is to make and sell games and, and survive as a business doing that. Right. But you also have a lot of companies and people who are putting out games because they love games and they want to make games. Right. Mm-hmm. And they're not. Their goal isn't specifically to generate revenue off of it, right? And so it's a weird market for that reason because you have these like really high investment products that you're making, right? But where the people involved aren't even necessarily like they hope to, you know, like but if you talk if you talk to most indie devs, they're kind of treating it like the lottery, right? Where they're like sort of half and half. You know, I hope it works out, but like if it doesn't, it's fine that I spent three years of my life like doing this in my off hours, you know, or Mm -hmm. or that I quit my job for three years to do this and then I'm to go back to work if it doesn't pan out, right? You don't see that in other kinds of media or kinds of business. Yeah. Uh, and and so that that's a lot of why we have like just the sheer volume of stuff coming to the game space, but also where there isn't there isn't very much stuff that like has the has any likelihood of actually generating a return on the investment yeah. that would end, right? Because yes. because the people are not coming in for that purpose, I guess, right? And even if they were, I guess I guess the problem is like there's always going to be a lot more coming in. Yeah. Than could be supported by the market because yeah, well, because there's there's a speed limit on quality, yeah. you know, yeah. Like look at look at what's going on with Disney Plus, mm-hmm. right? Like or, or I guess Marvel specifically, Marvel, yeah. uh, way way too much. There's way too much of it. Yeah. There's way too much Star Wars. There's way too much Marvel. You know, like if if ten years ago you had said to me, hey. Do you think that it, that that in ten years you'll be exhausted by how much Marvel and Star Wars stuff there is yeah. available? I'd I would have like, said no. That's I crazy. want as much as possible. Yeah, yeah. But it turns, it turns out, out I don't want as much as possible. It turns out you want you want to be able to to enjoy it 
and sit with it and give it time, like give it the time to like, you know, marinate in your brain and talk about it with people. Right. I mean, it's like, not even about quality. I would say, cause like, because there, there are a bunch of shows that I know are supposed it's to be about good. time. Yeah. It's about the sheer volume where at some point you just get overwhelmed. And because games are, they are a shared communal experience, even when, you know, even single player games, you play games that people, you know, have played or that people are talking about. Right. And so there is, it's, People's time is a is a finite resource, and people are going to aggregate towards the stuff that other people are playing. And so, sort of necessarily, that just means there's only a, a finite, not ever growing. There's a there's a proportional number of games that can succeed in the market, right? And there will always be a lot more games being made. Same with shows. Same with movies. Same with all know, of it. Yeah, there can't be two hundred successful yeah. movies a year. There just can't. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's be been like true forever, but 15. then the, but when the shape of how these things get made and distributed changes, right? Mm-hmm. And when there's a trend that people are chasing because they think there's money there, right? That's what causes these like waves and troughs, right? Of- yeah, but it's it's interesting how it's immune it's immune to normal business logic, right? So like if you think about like let's say you're the CEO of Disney, right? And you're like, wow, you know, like we've got these every every time we make a Marvel movie, it makes five hundred million dollars. Let's just make twice as many. Let's make four times. Let's make 10 times as many mm-hmm. and we'll just get 10 times as much money. And it turns out you just get the same amount of money <laughs> because, <laughs> right. because people the only have so much time. time and interest. Yeah. 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 And so like it, it, what like people fail to realize that they already were at the cap and they just keep, they just keep pumping out more and more volume, whether you're a platform, you know, like putting out 7,000 games a week on your platform or whether you're a company actually producing the content, putting way too many but shows there's, out. There's interesting thing whatever. about like, cause I, I just finished reading this book called Same as Ever, which is very good, but it's just about all the stuff that stays the same over time, right? And one of the points is that a lot of the systems that, that we participate in or even just like the way that people work too is to naturally push things beyond their point of being like the optimal level, right? Because you don't know. You don't actually know whatever yeah. when you're at the optimal level. There's no fucking light that turns. There's not like a game where you're like, S tier, you did it. Like, no, there's no. Yeah. So you you always, if something's going really well, you'll see this and you, have, you yeah, see you push the game studios, you push it further. Grow the studio bigger, make the games bigger. You're seeing this in AAA, quadruple A space now, frankly, with how big these budgets are. Um, <laughs> like you see this with Disney, right? It's like, you, you don't know if you're at the, the limit yet. And so- Until it starts to decline. Yeah, until you actually push it too far. And then like, and then the problem is that like typically pushing it too far causes a lot of shit to explode, right? You gotta lay off because yeah, and it's because the cost because it takes a long time to make stuff. And it takes a huge amount of investment into people, infrastructure, et cetera, right? And and I mean going back taking us all the way back to the simple case of like servers at launch, right? Mm -hmm. It's like if you're playing, if you're like, oh, this game is going to be just a fucking blockbuster, right? It's going to be the big, like the last game we did, did really well. So we should plan for, you know, 10x the, on this next one, right? So then you pay for the resources to, to have 10 times as many servers running for your new title and so on. And then it turns out that there was only support for 2x, mm-hmm. right? Of what you had previously or the same because you'd already saturated that market. Now you've got all these resources you spun up, right? You bought those. They're in a warehouse somewhere, right? A whole bunch of people are staffing them, or you rented them from some other company. They increase their infrastructure to comp- to handle like what the stuff is that you're doing, and all of a sudden you're like, oh shit! Turns out we didn't need that. Mm-hmm. Now your investors are upset because they're not going to get their money back, so they start demanding blood. So now you start firing p- more people even than you should have. Okay, right? the whole thing—it's like an awful. The whole apart. thing, yeah, and that's why you have these boom bust cycles where it's and it's always. 
people overinvest and overcorrect is basically the cycle. That's, and that's why things don't just have kind of a – because things are actually generally like – the line is going up on like everything all the time. Oh, right? yeah. The games market's been growing every year like tremendously. Yeah, the whole time. But what you see around – like at any given moment though, it's like way above or way below the line, right? Because of the overinvestment and the overcorrection. Because like Sam said, you can't predict you don't know where – top you don't know when you've hit the and, limit of something. and even then even when you've hit, seemingly hit a limit you still don't know why right because yeah so say say you're disney you're pumping out 100 marvel movies a year right uh is the reason that you're starting to now lose money doing that is it because you're putting out so many marvel movies or is it because everybody else is also doing this with their ip right and so the market the whole market is saturated even though there actually would have been if they weren't doing it there would have actually been room for your 100 marvel movies well, right? yeah uh, because there's the quality, no way to know there's no way to guess everyone is like actually kind of like I'm, I'm not gonna go see these anymore because i can't trust that they're good which is actually what was happening yeah. before like there's there's so many yeah. reasons so yeah then, then you could go back to bat again and be like well, we think it was this other thing. So let's yeah, try. we think it was because the quality wasn't good yeah. enough. So it's not the volume or vice versa, right? Mm-hmm. And and because there's no way to know. Because it's easy to look at this from the outside and be like, Disney's so stupid yeah. doing this. Obviously, right? But it, these are what we call the just so stories, right? It's like you can make up a story that like sounds very reasonable, right? But that doesn't mean it's the truth, right? Uh, and... And the reality of doing this, all this business stuff in these markets is that there's no way to know why a thing worked. There's no way to know why a thing didn't work. You can make some guesses, right? And you're going to do some stuff based on those guesses. But those guesses, who knows? And also, just because even if you were right, that doesn't mean that reality is what the reality looks like two years from now. Mm-hmm. So it just is chaos. It's just pure fucking chaos out there. And it, and it necessarily because of how people do business, which isn't a good thing. Right. Yeah. And how people think about stuff, which again, I'm not saying this is good, uh, but because of how people do it, you get these overinvestment and overcorrection cycles. And we'll just we'll just keep having that indefinitely until it'll happen every couple of years. Yeah, it's just going to keep happening. Yep. It just happens. New trend so. gets chased, it collapses and then and, and some stuff comes out from it. Right. So like, so right now we're, we're in the AI bubble right now. Like I said, there's useful stuff in there that's going to come out on the other side. And survive it. AI is going to keep being there forever. Yeah, AI will be. VR is going to keep being there. All these things are going to keep being there, right? And they're going to have their niche, and their niche is going to change over time, right? But at any given moment, we're in the middle of some boom-bust cycle. Some hype. There's there's (laughs) always because people chase the hype because – because the because of the fear of missing out because it's it is and it is true that if it turned out that that was a thing to chase and you didn't, it's unlikely you'll be able to chase it after that, right? Because it takes so long to capitalize. Well, you know, what is it? Live by the sword, die by the sword, right? Yeah, that's exactly it. Our our, our philosophy is is stick stick to the basics. Just use knives, not yeah. Just yeah, we're just like people. People are not fundamentally different organisms than they were five years ago, or ten years ago, or fifteen years ago, right? Like cultural context changes and stuff like that, but human psychology is is pretty is is pretty well. We've we've lived through we've lived through the death of indie games like I don't know three times now or something right it just keeps happening yeah because and, and, and that, that core idea is that we we believe that people like video games right and that if you make a good video game basically kind of of any sort right that there's still a good chance you can make a game that just turns out nobody's there for it right but but we don't believe you need to chase like the fads to get there yeah. you know you don't need a VR game you don't need an NFT game you, you can still need, make yeah. you can make successful 2D titles and you know, like it, all people are still playing chess after all this time even yeah. though you know uh the the meta hasn't really changed much <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's, 
maybe, maybe, you know, it's not like if somebody makes VR chess, then chess is dead and it's all VR. Like, no, my chess will still be around because it's a great game. And that's, that's all that it takes. You know? Well, and, and the, and the trends are how you get lucky and make a jillion dollars. Right. Um, they're also how you get unlucky and your and business collapses. Yeah. You're nearly guaranteed. Yeah, most collapse. of the time you're going to, yeah. Yeah, and, and, but of course, like the survivorship bias is what we see. We see the stuff that lived. And so it makes you want to chase the trends. Right? Yeah. You see that, that one dude who had like 800 Bitcoins on a hard drive that yeah. he accidentally threw in the garbage, you yeah. know, and it's like, you don't want to be that person. So you're going to jump on the next trend. And it turns out you will be that person sorting through the garbage, <laughs> trying to find <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, All right. Well, that's all the time we have for this week. I would like to thank our producers, Fat Bard and Sampa Acosta for putting the podcast together. And thanks to our community moderators who keep our Discord running. To get more involved in the Butterscotch community, just go to podcast.bscotch.net, where we have links to the Discord, a way for you to donate, and links to the podcast archives. And as always, if you haven't yet, head on over to Steam and give Crashlands 2 a wishlist. It'll help boost it up on the charts and uh, help us have a successful launch. We'd appreciate it. Thank you all for listening, and we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.